Okay, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9. Um, when I was in Bible college, uh, one of the uh, teachers uh, taught us um, how to know what was in every chapter of the book of Acts. You got one son, okay, the son ascends. Two do, the Holy Spirit comes. Three knee, and I think that's uh, when um, Peter heals the, no, that's chapter, oh, no, that's, that's chapter three, heals the lame man. Four door, um, they go before the uh, religious leaders and say that Jesus is the only way. We're going to continue to uh, five dive, that's where Ananias and Sapphira uh, die. Uh, six pick up sticks. So you, you find guys that are going to serve. Um, seven heaven. Stephen gets brutally stoned and dies. <laughs> Eight gate. You got the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, nine shine. You have the conversion of Paul. And he does this all the way through the um, book of Acts. Uh, 16, 17, 18. Paul goes a baking. He starts at Philippi and ends up at Corny Dog. So, you know, it wasn't all really, really good, but I, I still remember it uh, 40 years later, so must have done its job. All right. Well, in, uh, in, uh, you'll notice the, uh, the title is Building the Missions Team. Um, it, it is amazing when you consider what churches do compared to what God does. Um, we've had the tendency over the years to try and find warm bodies. If they're breathing and they're not kicking and screaming, we want them to serve someplace. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter what their life might be like. Uh, and and I, I'd say we've gotten away from that somewhat, but it's still a tendency. Uh, we just need a warm body. It's kind of like I'd like to see people that are spiritually immature sitting in Bible study. Grow up a little bit. Those that are quote-unquote spiritually mature, serving. And I really struggle with this uh, retirement idea that uh, we did our thing when we were younger. Now it's all the young people's turn. Uh, I just don't think that's going to hold a lot of water when we get to heaven. So when we consider how God raises up a or builds up a missions team compared to how we try and do it sometimes. Uh, we might see some differences. I think we might also see some differences in the results. So in uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 9, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters uh, from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, falling uh, to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, the one whom you are per persecuting. He replied, but get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling uh, with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but not seeing anyone. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were uh, open, he could not see anything. 
So they took him by the hand, led him into Damascus, and he was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. So I uh, put a little bit of sports uh, context in here. Uh, recruiting the quarterback. Now, uh, there were uh, 12 apostles, and uh, Paul comes along a little bit later. They all served their purpose in one way or another. Uh, Paul seems to be the one that we hear the most about uh, in the book of Acts, as well as in the New Testament. He wrote approximately half of the letters in the New Testament. So with that in mind, I kind of figure he's kind of the quarterback, okay? Uh, Notice, getting Paul to stop playing for the other team. Uh, That's how I would title this uh, section here. And I start out with not by works of righteousness in verses 1 and 2. Paul's background, uh, Paul was um, schooled uh, in a very good school by a very good rabbi. He was very intelligent. Uh, But when he saw a threat to his religion, the the one that he was very devoted and dedicated to, when they decided to stone Stephen, he was holding the coats. He, he was all in favor. Okay, you guys throw the rocks. I, I've, I've done my part. I'll hold the coats. Uh, and now he is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. It goes on to say in verse 1 that he went to the high priest, asked letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. Why? So that if he found anyone who were of the way, that's what it was called, you'll see... Um, there's a Bible a paraphrase, a Bible called The Way, and that's the reason why they chose that title, because of this right here. Um, whether men or women, Paul did not care who was guilty. He just was going to find them, and then he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Wow. So you're going to be arrested. Now, mind you, he is going to the synagogue. He's going to a Jewish, a Jewish place of worship, to find people that are not worshiping according to the traditions of the Jews. Ooh, wow. Now, notice letter B, God's choice is not based on lifestyle choices. Now, I, I did use that wording on purpose uh, in today's day and age. There's a lot of lifestyle choices that uh, we don't agree with. Uh, that doesn't mean that God doesn't save them. doesn't mean that God doesn't call them. Uh, it doesn't mean that God can't use you to bring them uh, into a relationship with him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, notice what it says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by and by the Spirit of our God. So when people come to know Christ, you see what happens. Uh, the old gets cleansed, and they enter into a relationship with the Lord whereby their life is going to change. How do I know? Well, notice letter C. Lifestyle choices are expected to change with salvation. So if Paul were to be converted and start going around and trying to find other Christians so he could get them killed, one might question his conversion. See what I'm saying? Uh, And the same thing that would be true of some of these other things. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, aren't you glad that none of us do those things? Now, I would like to pick out a couple. Um, You'll notice a lot of the sins that are talked about in the Bible are sexual in nature. I want you to understand that that is the easiest and basest area where Satan can um, trip us up, okay? So when we see our culture going towards the sexualization of children, uh, what they, they're saying statistically that one out of two marriages end in divorce. Uh, oh, by the way, 80% of the time it's the woman that's in, that initiates that divorce. And oh, by the way, it's not because 80% of the time men were cheating, um, the cheating rate between men and women is about equal. We only hear about the men. It's about equal. But uh, 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 sexuality is like part of our basis nature, and it's the easiest place to get us to fall. But when we come into the church, if we're involved in that kind of stuff, we're going to hide it real good. So let's go to other things. Uh, how about uh, idolatry? Uh, Elise Fitzpatrick's book, uh, The Idols of the Heart. Our heart is a manufacturing plant of idols. Uh, Anything can be an idol. It's just taking the position that only God should have. Okay? Uh, I I know people in this church that struggle with uh, the importance of money. Okay? And um, if it's that important, then whose money is it? Well, it's probably theirs. It's probably not God's. Okay, that's just a form of idolatry. Uh, let's go on a little bit further. We have uh, selfish ambition. Oh, I don't know how many. When we were down in Brazil as missionaries, one of the biggest problems, I mean, I went down there to work with youth. All of the youth were, let's say, in Belleville compared to the church that I was put at. I was put in a uh, community that... It's not that there weren't young people, but that none of them were in the church. The The church down in Belleville had all kinds of young people, and one of the other missionaries went over there. Why? Because, boy, it's a lot easier when you got young people, especially when the average age in Brazil is 15. A lot easier when you got young people. Okay? So you got more to write home about. And um, one of the problems that uh, the Brazil field had was um, if you looked at all of our giftings, we, we should have been a great team. But there was a lot of selfish ambition. Uh, I need to be able to write home and tell people why they're supporting me financially, and I've got to give them a reason to keep on doing so. So I go where it's happening. Not where I'm gifted. It doesn't matter. I go where it's happening. And it's kind of like, whoa. Um, Every one of the missionaries that were down there had been the pastor of the church that I was uh, a pastor of um, for three years while I was down there, and uh, they never got it going. Uh, we, when we got there, there was seven people there. With our family and the other missionary, there were 15. By the time we left, there was around 45. Uh, praise the Lord. Um, 
but uh, the reality was was uh, it was going well. And when we left, we left a Brazilian pastor there. And uh, I still get to see pictures posted regularly on Facebook of uh, things are happening there. I, I appreciate that. But uh, it, it's not because we were so great and everybody else sucked. It was we were just new enough to not know anything. So we uh, did what we believed God wanted us to do and left it at that. But uh, selfish ambition, dissensions, uh, little conflicts, uh, dividing groups and stuff like that. Uh, we don't have any problems with those things at Edgemont Bible Church, do we? Um, Gordon just about threw up there for a minute. Uh, the, the, the reality is, is um, I've been telling people for years, the ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. Okay? Uh, the problem is, is there would be no ministry if it wasn't for people. Uh, uh, part of God's call on us as a body is uh, we're going to be iron that sharpens iron. And you know how we're going to do it? We're going to be an irritant to one another. And when we start judging people and saying they can't serve based on they're not like me, kind of like, yeah, you probably need to crawl back in the hole there and reconsider a few things. Um, heresies, I don't think we have too many of those. Look on the top of my head. Uh, envy, murders, uh, drunkenness, revelries. Uh, I think for the most part, if you guys are involved in those kinds of things, uh, you're hiding it from us pretty good. Uh, but notice, anyone who is involved in these things, this is a way of life for them. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Um, now, that doesn't mean Christians can't do it, but that's one of the reasons why I'm speaking up, because as I see how we handle some of the problems around here, it's kind of like, come on, guys, what does the Bible say? That, that's not the way we're supposed to handle it. Uh, Ephesians 5, 3 to 6, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, notice how uh, fornication, sexual sin, uncleanness, covetousness are all put together there. Uh, covetousness, the, the desire to have something that maybe you don't need or shouldn't have at this time. Uh, let it not even be named among you as it is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this uh, you know, no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So once again, the expectation is you get saved, things are going to change. And then last, uh, 1 Timothy 1, 8 to 11. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Okay, if you're born again, are you a righteous person? From God's perspective, he imputed the righteousness of Christ to your account. You are a righteous person. So the law was not made for you. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're walking in the Spirit, you won't do the things that are in the law. In fact, it says if you walk in the Spirit, you're going to fulfill the whole law. The whole law was boiled down to love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And oh, by the way, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you have fulfilled the whole law. Because how can you say you love God and not your brother who you can see? Okay, so um, the law wasn't made for a righteous person, but for the lawless, the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, 
for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So uh, sound doctrine and the glorious gospel, they go together. Okay, when a person is born again, why did they need to be born again? They're sinners. How does God provide justice for himself and yet mercy for the sinner? He sends his son to live the perfect life that the sinner cannot live and then to die the wage of sin that the sinner cannot afford and then to rise again showing that sin has been paid for. God is satisfied and if they'll put their trust in him, he gives them the free gift of eternal life. So sound doctrine is going to go along with that. I was watching a video today. Someone who is considered a false teacher by some others that I follow, but everything I've heard him say is good. I'm sure there's probably one point that he kind of disagrees on, and therefore he's a false teacher. Eh, I'm not sure I'm ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater type thing, kind of like Tony Evans. But... Uh, someone asked him about progressive Christians. He goes, you know, the, the funny thing about progressive Christians is it's not progressive and it's not Christian. Uh, when you go against what Jesus actually taught, that's not progressive, that's regressive. You're going backwards. And uh, to go against what Jesus taught, oh, you're not a Christian. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like, yeah, that's a good point. But uh, again, sound doctrine and the gospel, they go together. Number two, Jesus' Jesus confrontation of Paul in verses 3 to 9. First of all, he saw the light, right? Sang a song, a whole bit about it. There was a small dance, not, not a big one, small dance going on. It's an, okay, so there wasn't. Uh, and then, of course, what do we see right off the bat? A correction uh, in Paul's thinking or Saul's thinking. First of all, Jesus shows the offense. Why are you persecuting me? Uh, you remember at the uh, end of the tribulation, the Lord comes back, and there's going to be two that are sleeping in the bed, and one's going to be taken. There's going to be two working in the field, and one's going to be taken. The reality is is uh, the one that's taken is taken to a place where he's going to be killed. Uh, Luke chapter 17, uh, same story is given, and the disciples specifically ask, well, where is he taken? Where the eagles are going to eat out of his eyes. Kind of, whoa. <laughs> Uh, but then uh, you also have in Matthew 25 there the, uh, the sheep and the goats. See, everyone is gathered at the end, and uh, they go through the, the sheep and the goats uh, judgment where the sheep go to the right side, and because when I was in jail, you took care of me. When I was hungry, you took care of me. When, when did we do that? If you had done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, the way you treat Israel during the tribulation, that's the way you're treating me. The goats, on the other hand, when I was in prison, you didn't come and visit me. When I was sick, you didn't do anything for me. What are you talking about? You didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren. So whole point being is, and even when you go back to David, uh, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Let me see. He sinned against Uriah by committing adultery with Bathsheba. He sinned against Bathsheba by inviting her over. Hey, you know, um, what's she going to say? Uh, don't think this is a good idea, you know. Um, and so he sins against the people of Israel for more than nine months. 
Uh, he sins against Joab by sending Uriah to the front and make sure he dies, that kind of thing. Um, he sinned against all kinds of people, and he says, against thee and the only have I sinned. How can he do that? The way I treated all these people, that's the way I was treating God. Ouch. So uh, when we come back here, we see, why are you persecuting me? Um, we don't even know if Paul ever met Jesus before this point, but because he is persecuting his people, he is persecuting him. So correction in the understanding of the person, Christ, verse 5, Paul asks, who are you, Lord? Now a lot of people get all, see, he's calling him Lord. Um, sometimes the word Lord just means sir. And in this particular case, obviously, He's glowing. Uh, he's appeared out of nothing. He's more than me. I don't know that he's catching. He's God yet. Okay? But somewhere in here he does. But who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Uh, apparently, this is a Greek saying, and uh, the idea is, uh, you know, the, the dog bites you, so what do you do? You come home to your wife and give her a hard time. Right? kids act up and you give them a hard time. Uh, you're really not dealing with the real problem. And so by chasing after all these people and putting them in jail, he's trying to soothe his own conscience because something, these people got something that I don't have and he wasn't getting it. Um, so that brings us to number three there, correction in the understanding of one's position before him. So he, Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, this, would, this question seems to show that he's getting a grasp on who Christ might be. And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Angels show up, and, and they can tell Cornelius the truth of the gospel. What do they do? Go get Peter. He'll tell you. Uh, here Jesus himself is standing there with Paul, and uh, he could tell him, what does he do? Go into the city. I'll send someone to talk to you. Why? That is our responsibility. Angels could do it easily. I mean, just kind of show up in the middle of the night while someone's sleeping, glow a little bit, and tell them the everlasting gospel. And it's kind of like, I, I think that would wake a few people up. You know, but God doesn't have him do that. Why? Because he gave that responsibility to us. Okay? So uh, in verses 8 and 9, we see where Paul, uh, yes, he's, he's blind, but he obeys. And, of course, verse 7, not everyone gets it. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you are there and Paul falls off his camel and there's a bright light and there's a voice, you, you may not understand it, but I'm thinking... Man, something's going on here that maybe we ought to check into. And it says they heard, but they didn't understand. As far as we know, we never hear about these people again. It's amazing how that works. They're Democrats. No, uh, stop that. All right, moving right along. Sorry about that. Uh, letter B, preparing the player for the team's playbook. Verses 10 to 22. Follow along as I read. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said, get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man named, uh, from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there, 
And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he can uh, regain his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias left and entered the house. Then uh, he placed his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he uh, regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. But all who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man who in Jerusalem was destroying those who called on his name and then came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners uh, to the chief priests? But Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah. All righty. So uh, the people God uses to prepare the player for the game. Um, you know, we have uh, some young Christians uh, at Edgemont Bible Church. And um, being young Christians, we kind of like having babies around. They kind of need help. Um, I saw a TikTok, t- not a TikTok, a uh, Snapchat today. Uh, Hannah was doing some laundry and uh, little Ida Mae trying to help her. She's got folded stuff up on the mattress and Ida Mae is standing there and pulling it off onto the floor. You know, uh, and then she's got a garbage can and something else at the end of the hall so Ida can't get into the living room because the living room has a stairwell that goes downstairs. And... Uh, where is Ida Mae? She is trying to get past the barrier. Uh, not unlike baby Christians. Uh, they don't always know what's good for them and what's not good for them. And uh, recently talking to someone who claimed to be a, a believer, and um, she gave all the right answers. I'm not saying she wasn't. But uh, I said, you know, you really need to get into a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. She goes, I, I, you know, I have, I know you're right, but I've been staying at home watching Joel Olstein and um, Joyce Myers. Kind of like, I just kind of shook my head. I said, these are not the people you want to be listening to. Joel Olstein is more about you having a good life here. Jesus is a little bit more uh, thinks that the life after this one is a whole lot more important. And Joyce Meyer, I, I've heard some of her stuff. She says some right things. But she's a health and wealth gospel person, and well, we can talk about women preachers another time. But uh, the whole point being is these are not the ones. Well, I listen to Charles Stanley too. Like, okay, he's good, but you know, it's more than just listening to a message on uh, TV. It's rubbing shoulders with people. That's the church. It's an assembly of called out ones. So you need to find church. So, of course, she said she'd be here this past Sunday and wasn't. They never are, but, you know, that's how it works. <laughs> okay, so uh, the people God uses to prepare the player for the game. Blessings from others is one way that God prepares a person for the game. Conflict with others is another way. 
The very people that sometimes we want to get away from is God's way of chipping off some of those uh, corners that uh, sandpaper is not going to work yet. Okay? And so whole point being is you shouldn't shy away from the people that God brings into your life because he's preparing you to play in the game. Okay? Uh, So number two, coach Ananias. Uh, We see in verse 10 that Ananias was a servant of the Lord. In verses 11 through 12, God gives him some clear direction. Arise, go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And by the way, I've already told him in a vision that you're coming. Now, I I find it interesting that God does this quite often. Um, he, He tells the person to go and says, I've already told him you're coming. I think of Elijah when uh, uh, he's running from uh, Jezebel and he ends up in this little town. Oh, no, it's a drought. It's at the beginning of the three years. Uh, he ends up in this town and God says, I've told this woman to take care of you. And he gets there and he sees the woman. And he goes, what you doing? And she goes, well, going to get a little bit of the last little bit of flour, the last little bit of oil. We're going to make some uh, biscuits and then we're going to wait to die. And Elijah goes, I'll tell you what, you make me some first. And if I'm her, I'm sitting there saying, what are you talking about? This is the last bit. There's enough for him and me. I'm not making it for you first. But the word of God comes from the mouth of Elijah. You take care of me first, and there'll be plenty for you. And sure enough, there was. There was oil and flour for the next three years. And... The Word of God creates faith in her. She listens, does what he says, and bing, bang, bong. Okay? Now, why is that important here? Because God gives clear direction and says, I gave him a vision. He knows you're coming. I'm waiting for him to show up, and Paul goes, who are you? But in this case, it wasn't like Elijah. He was prepared. So that brings us to letter C, questions but not questioning. Did you ever notice that When the angel comes to Zechariah and tells him that Elizabeth's going to get pregnant, he goes, wait a minute, what about, what about, what about? And the angel says, you're not going to be able to speak for the next nine months. And then he goes to Mary, and Mary goes, but how can this be? I've not known a man. See, she's asking a question. Zechariah, if you go back and look at it, he's questioning. There's a difference. Nothing wrong with asking a question. I don't understand how this is going to work out. It's another thing to say, she's old. I'm old. This ain't happening. That's questioning, okay? So uh, Ananias brings forth some questions. Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now, notice he doesn't sit there and say, and if that's the case, I'm not going. He just says, here's some facts. Just in case you didn't know, Lord. Uh, uh, There's a measure to, obviously, God knows everything, but we like to inform him. That's how we do things. Uh, And so, uh, clarification for the sake of the questions Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And then, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. 
kind of like you, you don't need to worry about what he was, understand what he is. Uh, maybe something that we all need to uh, relook at when we're thinking about some of these younger Christians that don't do things the way that maybe they ought to. Uh, stop worrying about what they were, start considering what they are, and then go and talk to them. Uh, I remember one family got so upset with uh, someone in Awana, and I said, do you love them enough to go and talk to them about the problem that you're seeing? The answer was pretty much no for a while. And then they finally did talk to them. And of course, when you go and talk to someone that you have a difference with, probably the best thing you can do is talk to the Lord first about it. Prepare their heart. Prepare my heart. Maybe I don't know all the facts. And maybe when I talk to them, they're going to give me some other things that make me understand. Oh, yeah, I don't have a problem with the way you handle it then. Okay? But they finally did go, and of course the person didn't have ears to hear. Uh, And another thing we ought to consider, do we have ears to hear when people want to correct us about things? Sheila, have you ever corrected me? Did I have ears to hear? Most times. (laughs) Uh, I won't say that I always have them because sometimes I'm right and you're not. But, (laughs) (laughs) well, you know how it goes. Um, My wife says, you're not always right. That's well. 98%. Okay, so let's get Paul started, okay? Um, uh, First of all, in verses 17 and 18, we have Ananias' obedience. Uh, He comes, he talks to him, he goes, I'm here so that you may receive your sight, that takes care of the physical problem, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was here before we went to Brazil uh, as a youth pastor, I asked the young people, I go, how many of you are filled with the Holy Spirit right now? And, of course, I did not expect that they were going to be able to answer that question because, wow, how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, is there a store down here? Uh, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, I said, why don't you go ask your parents how many of them are filled with the Holy Spirit? And I go, but before you do, be very respectful and understand they're probably not going to have an answer for you. Why? Because we, we've gotten away from that concept because of the charismatics. We don't want to be related to them. So we don't even talk about the Spirit at times. And it's interesting. This is the second thing that we want you to have is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's the only way you can do anything that's honoring and glorifying to God. And then, of course, he arose and he was baptized. And so that brings in other people. Ananias is not the only guy. Uh, In verse 19, we see that... uh, And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days, hanging around other believers. Okay, Now, because of his education, he had to do the 2 plus 2 equals 4 thing to understand New Testament uh, theology, but he already had the 2 from the Old. And they throw Jesus in there as kind of, oh, I see, so where is he going to get that? The Holy Spirit and other people. So that brings us to the next step in verse 20. He preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now, this seems to still be the sticking point for so many people. As I'm perusing through uh, TikTok, uh, every now and again there'll be live sessions, and I'll uh, click on one of those, and okay, yeah, not worth it. Yeah, no, oh, there's one. Uh, there's one guy that talks about Hebrew words in the Psalms. I really like him. 
I even posted one on Facebook uh, on our community page once uh, because it was just good stuff, you know. But uh, all of a sudden you'll see in the background, Jesus is not God. Uh, he came back in 70 AD, uh, you know, a list of things that they want to talk about. And it's kind of like, you know, if, if Jesus isn't God, we're all still in our sins because he couldn't do what was expected or required in order for those sins to be dealt with if he's not God. Yes, he had to be a man. He had to be 100% human. He had to live that perfect life. How many humans do you know have done that? Zero. The only way he could do that was by being fully God also. So he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And the recognition of the change by others and oneself. The people that are hearing him preach, is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name in, on this name in Jerusalem? And has he uh, has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? So their, their questions may be, is he just duping all those Christians so he can capture them? Or, wait a minute, this guy's preaching about the guy that he used to be against. And of course, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Uh, I did some street evangelism in New York City with a group called Open Air Campaigners, and I worked out of the McCulley Water Street Rescue Mission down on Canal Street, um, southern Manhattan. And uh, that summer, I think I was about two years old in the Lord at the time, that summer I did more growing than probably any other short allotted time in my Christian history. Why? Because I'm out there preaching Christ. And when you're done, if they don't just interrupt your session, but when you're done, people will stand around and they'll talk to you. And they will raise all the questions. And being two years old in the Lord, I didn't have all the answers yet. Most of them, but not all of them. And uh, so I would run back to the McCulley Water Street Rescue Mission and get into their library and find the answers. Uh, for example, in Isaiah, a virgin will conceive and bring forth a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel and all that kind of stuff. Um, the word for virgin there is young maiden. She doesn't have to be a virgin. And yet, when you come to the Greek, it is virgin in the New Testament. But see... They're translating the prophecy about Jesus and Mary. Mary was a virgin, had to be a virgin. But the prophecy was partially fulfilled by Isaiah's wife, who was a wife, at which point she wasn't a virgin. <laughs> she was a young maiden. So her child, by that time, that child knew the difference between right and wrong. Uh, King Rezin and King Pekin, they weren't going to be an issue. That was going to be a sign to the guy that was in charge at the time, who didn't want to sign, that God was a little angry with. <laughs> but so uh, those things get brought up by Muslims. And at being a young Christian, I didn't have an answer for that. I had to go find it. So I did a lot of growing. Well, Saul does a lot of growing here too by preaching the gospel. Let us see. The team protecting the quarterback, verses 23 to 31. Uh, and for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of scoot through this one. Uh, so suffering for righteousness sake in verses 23 and 24. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. You know, the, those that walk in darkness, they can only listen to the truth presented to them so many times, at which point they've got to respond. 
And the more they harden their hearts, the more they're going to want to shut you up. The more they soften their hearts, the more they may want to hear more and understand more so that they might actually come to him. But in this particular case, as in many, uh, they decide that the best route is to kill this guy. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So Saul became aware of that, and, uh, well, he just didn't go where he shouldn't go, at least by himself, um, because they were, they were watching for him. So that brings the way of escape in verses 25 to 28. With the help of others in verse 25, let me uh, just go ahead and read that for you. Uh, but his disciples took him by night, lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. And when he arrived in Jerusalem, that's the next section. Um, so the way of escape, with the help of others. And from there, of course, uh, Damascus is uh, too dangerous to stay at. So where are we going to go? Well, it might be nice to go to Jerusalem. Why? Well, it, it's, our, it's where our temple is. Uh, it's where the apostles are. Maybe I can talk to those guys. Uh, that kind of thing. So he uh, goes to Jerusalem. And I should have uh, put Galatians 1, 17 and 18 in, in the notes for you, but you can look that up, where basically he came and he didn't get any information from them. When he, when he finally does get to meet them, he, they don't add anything to the message that he was already preaching. That's why he was there. He wanted to make sure he was getting it right. And when uh, he shared it with them, they said, that's right, keep going. Okay, but uh, so uh, he ends up trying to meet the apostles. They were kind of concerned, kind of like, yeah, this guy, you know what he is, uh, what he was at least. And then, of course, Barnabas, we, we read about Barnabas back there in Acts chapter 5, uh, 4, at the end of chapter 4. He uh, sold a piece of property, donated all the money to the uh, leadership so that they could take care of the needs of people. And that's where Ananias and Sapphira got an idea, okay? So Barnabas has been around for a little while, and uh, Barnabas goes to meet Paul, uh, Saul, I think he's still called at this point, and brings him back and introduces him to the apostles. And again, the reason, I want to make sure I got the right message. At which point, in verse 28, we see that now Paul is preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. Now, you might remember, he goes out to Damascus. What's he do? He gets saved, and he starts preaching. Now, gifts. On Sunday night, we're going to get into the first part, of, first section on gifts, spiritual gifts. And we're going to find out that there are two types of gifts. There's speaking gifts, and there's service gifts. Dave Wells is a servant. Don't ask him to speak. It's not that he can't talk. It's not that he can't share the gospel with people, but he's a servant, okay? Um, myself, I have no problem putting up tables and stuff like that, but this is where I'd rather be uh, nine out of ten times. Why? Because uh, God has enabled me to preach. Uh, I like it. And usually, whatever gift you have, you're going to like doing whatever it is that is part of that thing. And so... But uh, so he's preaching in Damascus. He comes over here to Jerusalem. By the way, his preaching in Damascus, what did that do for him? Got him in trouble with people that want to kill him. He comes over to Jerusalem and he preaches again. What does that do for him? Well, let's find out. Uh, conflict, the next conflict, verses 29 to 31. 
So he speaks boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. Now, the Hellenists were Jewish people that had taken on the... Um, the Greek mindset, uh, they, they weren't the good Jews, okay? So we find ourselves again back here where the next conflict, uh, he disputes against the Hellenists, the Greek-oriented uh, Jewish people, and what happens? Uh, they attempt to kill him. Um, first of all, Jews were pretty good about hanging on to their Jewishness, but the church is very much like uh, the Jewish people in that the further you get away from the center of things, uh, the more you're willing to take on some of the cultural things. And that's basically what these Hellenists had done. Uh, they may have been Jewish proselytes. They may have been Jews that were affected by the uh, Greek culture. Uh, but they still didn't want to hear about Jesus because he was not in their thinking and so they attempt to kill him. And, of course, that brings us to verse 30 where Paul goes from uh, Jerusalem up to Caesarea and finally up to Tarsus. And so for a little while, we're done with Paul. Paul needs to grow up a little bit more. He's only uh, probably at this point about three years old in the Lord. Uh, from the book of Galatians, we find out that uh, he has studied with Jesus in the Desert uh, Bible Institute over near Damascus. And uh, so really, he, he had his stuff uh, pretty straight already. Uh, but now he's going to go up and he's going to sit and stew in the things that he knows for the next 12 years. Um, it's kind of like Moses in the backside of the desert. Uh, now, what did Paul do wrong? We, we know Moses killed a guy. And he, he was of the mindset to get the children of Israel to come out when he was 40. But he killed a guy, and that put him in a bad place with the Pharaoh, so he runs and hides. Um, what did Paul do wrong? Well, since he got saved, what did he do wrong? As far as we know, nothing, right? And yet he still needed time to mature. Okay. And so he goes up to Tarsus, where he's originally from. And what do we know that he does? We really don't. But I assume he was a tent maker. Uh, if there was a body of believers in the area, who's probably ministering there uh, or studying. But uh, he still needs time to mature. So we're going to put Paul over here. He's part of our missions team, but we're going to put him over here for the time being. And that brings us to 31 to 43, church growth in southern Israel. So uh, in verses uh, 32 through 34, let me go ahead and read that for you. Uh, Peter was traveling from place to place. He also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas uh, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, make your bed, and immediately got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So uh, we have, he, he comes to the area to minister to the saints, okay? Um, for those of you that see what's going on in a lot of churches, uh, we, a lot of churches take on this mentality, we want to be seeker-friendly. And can I tell you something? We all need to be seeker-friendly. But the church is an assembly of called out ones. 
You want to reach them? Don't reach them through church. They, they can come to church, and if they get reached, hallelujah. Okay? But we need to find them out there and bring them home. Okay? Uh, if they want to come here, excellent. But the reality is, is church is not for them. It's for us. It's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And when you go out and live, you're ministering. So hopefully you're able to answer the questions for the hope that you have in you because people see the difference. And in so doing, some will come. So when Peter goes down to Lydda, he's going down there to minister to the saints. Uh, You see that in verse uh, 32. But in the midst of it, he finds Aeneas. Uh, He had been bedridden for eight years. He was paralyzed. Uh, Peter says to him, uh, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. And of course, like all healings in the Bible, except for I think one, they're immediate and they're complete. One guy, he got the mud rubbed in his eyes and he's blind and he goes, well, I see people as though they're trees. And then he gets a little bit more and then he can see see clearly, that kind of thing. I'm sure God had a purpose for that, but all others, they're complete and they're immediate. So when you look at some of the people that are doing things on TV, guy comes in on a wheelchair, uh, he gets all of his information on a card, the card is preached to the preacher through an earpiece, and he, the angels of God have told me that Chuck needs to come on up here. He lives at such and such an address, and he's got a problem with his legs. So Chuck comes up with a, a wheelchair, and you pick Chuck up, and you give him a walking stick, and he walks back. And Chuck feels really special because he was called up. He got a blessing from the Lord, <laughs> but he's not healed. That's how they do some of that stuff. But uh, Peter heals this guy. And notice in verse 34, the purpose of the uh, miracle, it's a witness for the lost. See, if you go to Hebrews, uh, Hebrews tells us that the, first the Lord gave us the words, and then it was confirmed to us by his apostles through signs and wonders. The purpose of signs and wonders, to confirm the message. So why don't we have signs and wonders today? Remember what I said about God's outreach program? Tag your it. You are the sign. When you walk in the Spirit, you are the sign that what you're going to say is true. Huh? Yeah, you're the light. You're the salt. But you're only that because you got the power of the Spirit within you. So when you're letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're walking in the light, when you're, uh, you know, so on and so on and so forth, uh, you are the confirmation of the message. Uh, the whole purpose is you're living it, they're seeing Jesus, and then you go, hey, why are you doing that? Now you give them the gospel. Your life is confirmation that this is the truth. So we don't need signs like they did back then. It was, in essence, a new message back then. Yes, Chuck? And we share our testimony. And again, they've seen your testimony, so you're just giving them some of the details as to how you got that way. So that's what the purpose of that miracle was. That brings us to 36 to 43, the raising of Dorcas in Joppa. So 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became sick and died. 
After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who begged him, don't delay in coming with us. So Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to a room upstairs. Excuse me. And all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and the clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Then Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand. Then he called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed on, uh, on many days in Joppa with Simon the leather tanner. Okay, so uh, Dorcas is a certain disciple, it says. Uh, Her real name was Tabitha. Uh, Dorcas is the, I assume, the Greek translation of uh, whatever uh, Tabitha was. Um, This woman was full of good works, full of charitable deeds, which she did. You know, uh, when people of any kind of age that are serving pass, you really sense the loss because someone's got to step up and take that place, right? Well, sometimes people just get so busy with life that they can't serve anymore and they step down and then you really sense that loss. Uh, we have a few positions like that at Edgemont Bible Church that uh, maybe you need to consider. Uh, one is working with the youth. Another one is the property deacon chairman. Um, things like that. Benevolence can always use more people to help out. If you're into doing checkbook money type stuff, every month we have to have a report for the board meeting and the guy that's been doing it, uh, he's stepping away from doing it because he's a little bit too busy. So things like that. But she was full of charitable deeds and she died and they prepared her for burial. Verse 37. Verse 38. They had heard that Peter was about 10 to 12 miles down the road. Uh, Joppa is on the Mediterranean uh, Sea coast in southern Jerusalem or southern uh, uh, Israel. And in about 10 to 12 miles southwest is Lydda. So he's relatively close. They hear about it. So uh, the disciples uh, sent for him. They uh, sent two men imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Why? Again, Jewish mindset. That soul isn't going to leave that body for three days. It took us a little while to get down here. It's going to take us a little while to get back. And, uh, you know, she's already been dead for a day. So uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so Peter arrives in Joppa in verse 39a. And then he hears the testimony of the works of Dorcas and 39b from all the widows and the people that she had cared for. So he uh, heals her. He raises her from the dead. Um, And again, the purpose of the miracle in verses uh, 42 and 43. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed on many days in Joppa with Simon the leather tanner. So again, purpose. So the people would get saved. So now we've heard about... Let me see. We've heard about uh, Paul... Uh, we've heard about Ananias. We've heard about uh, uh, a variety of people, Barnabas, uh, and then Aeneas and uh, Dorcas and Peter. Um, now, Aeneas and Dorcas, and uh, you know, they're receiving the ministry, but we're seeing people that are involved in the ministry. Uh, two of them are apostles. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, so that brings us to, uh, let me see, we're up to chapter 11, uh, verses 19 through 30. Uh, we've already done chapter 10, where Peter goes to Cornelius, and uh, he also went up and talked to Simon the sorcerer there, uh, dealing with the Samaritans coming into the body and uh, Gentiles coming into the body. Who can be saved, right? So we're in uh, chapter 11, verses 19 and following. Uh, after Herod had searched and did not find, where am I? There I am. Uh, it did not find him. He interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judah. That's, not, that's chapter 12. <laughs> I'm seeing the 13 right next to it there. Didn't make any sense to me. Okay, let's try again. Verse 19. Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution. Now, when, when did that happen? Anybody remember? In the first five verses of chapter 8, they were scattered. So this is actually referring back to something that had happened previously, but we're returning to it because they scattered preaching the gospel. Okay? So they started because uh, of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch speaking the message to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, uh, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report of them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch, When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus uh, to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. Uh, The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, We'll stop there for just a moment. So uh, in our notes here, we see the preaching of the persecuted. Uh, They're scattered to preach. Now think about that for just a minute. Uh, God told them, well, Jesus told them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and I want you to be witnesses unto me, or you're going to be witnesses unto me, in Jerusalem. That's where you are. Judea, surrounding area. Samaria. And then the uttermost part of the earth. And not unlike Noah's descendants, they found a valley that was green and lush, and they decided, we're going to build a city right here, and we're all going to stay right here. And before long, we're going to build a tower whose top is heaven for us. And what did God have to do? I told you to spread out. Now I'm going to make you spread out. I'm going to confuse the languages. I'm actually going to pick some of you up and move you to other places where you're going to do what I told you to do, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, so the church, not unlike those people, when they uh, first got going, they all stayed in Jerusalem. Uh, it's like, how are you going to be a witness in Samaria if you're not going to Samaria? How are you going to be a witness in the uttermost part of the earth if you're not going to the uttermost part of the earth? I know what I'll do. I'll get you moving a little bit. Persecution. Now, I bring that up because I remember going to a Baptist church. Well, it was a, a, 
Wayside Community Church, something like that. But it was it was a Baptist church. They just didn't have the name. And uh, I remember preaching, uh, y- y'all, uh, you're you're kind of like a Baptist church. And the pastor said, Amen. And of course, having been saved in a Baptist church, I, I said, you know, Baptist churches, they, they're pretty good about, they, they preach the gospel. They, they want to preach the gospel. Two Christians every week. Hopefully, there's a few that actually want to go out and knock on some doors and that kind of stuff. I go, now I go to a, a Bible church. And Bible churches are really good at studying the word. But witnessing? We're not so good at witnessing. Now, I think I've grown up enough to know that, okay, maybe we're not as bad as I thought we were, okay? Things do happen that I didn't know about, uh, but the reality is, is if you compare Baptist churches to Bible churches, very often they're very evangelistic, and I would say for the most part, Bible churches are teaching the Bible, and that's about all, which is a shame, because what were we, what were we called to do? As you're going, make disciples, Making disciples in the mind of many Christians today is going to church on Sunday morning. Oh, by the way, making disciples in the mind of many pastors is you come to church. I'll tell you what you need to know. That's not making a disciple. You actually got to go be where people are. You got to love them the way they is. And then you got to live it before them and then help them understand why Jesus has this call on their life also. Uh, so it means going out. Well, these people weren't going out, and so Christ made them go out through persecution. They got the gist, okay? Uh, they started preaching the gospel wherever they went. So uh, those that were scattered traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Now, we know that uh, Philip preached to the Gentiles back there in Acts chapter, I mean, not Gentiles, uh, Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, but we, we don't get to the preaching of uh, the gospel to uh, Gentiles until ch- chapter 10. We're in chapter 11, and the Jewish Christians that are uh, going out from persecution, chapter 8, they're only preaching to the Jews. So chapter 10 probably hasn't happened yet. And therefore, this is the way it is. Uh, but notice uh, number two, some people's standards are different, verses 20 and 21. But some of, some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Uh, when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now, uh, these people they probably would have been looked down upon by some of the other Jewish Christians who were only preaching the gospel to Jewish people because what on earth are you talking to all those Hellenists about? You know, they, they don't fit with us. Well, I remember years ago telling my wife, I said, you know, you're just a small-town hick. And I grew up basically as white trash, okay? We, yes, we didn't live in a mobile home, but coulda, okay, um, the attitude of those kinds of people, hicks and white trash, is only different by a couple of measures. Now, I, I'm sure I just offended who knows how many people. Get over it already, okay? Um, double wide. <laughs> Some of those double wides these days are pretty nice. <coughs> but uh, the reality is, is I, I didn't grow up white collar, uh, I guess we were blue collar, but we were poor enough that my stepdad, who used to be uh, a uh, lineman, 
bringing in pretty decent money uh, as a lineman. He ended up being a, a school bus driver. I don't know if you know the difference between the wages, but it's a lot. <laughs> and and so we really did fit in that very low socioeconomic uh, uh, fitting. And uh, I actually learned more in Bible college about the reason why uh, you you have etiquette and manners and stuff like that than I ever learned growing up. And I still haven't worked all those out yet. Yeah, I know. Um, but the whole point being is, can I tell you that when, when I go out and talk to normal everyday folk, I'm not going to have too much of a problem uh, because I'm kind of a normal everyday folk. Uh, where someone who's been to Harvard, and I don't care if you went to Harvard or anything like that, but uh, Princeton or wherever, they're probably going to have a little bit of a harder time and probably are not even going to want to speak to the the lower class people. Um, well, the, these guys, I got a feeling they grew up in a mobile home park, okay, because uh, they, they're preaching to anybody and everybody. And notice what it says there in letter C, uh, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Uh, It is amazing if you're looking for it in the Old Testament. God's design was Israel were going to be a kingdom of priests. Well, who are they going to be priests for, God? And who are they going to mediate on behalf of? Gentiles. Now you come into the church age and we're a kingdom of priests. Oh, who are we going to mediate on behalf of? Anyone who's not lost or, or who is lost. Okay, whole point being is God hasn't changed the program. It's always been this way, and some people got it. Now, they may have got it out of ignorance, but they got it, and the Lord blessed them. Uh, so that brings us to change with leadership's approval, verses 22 to 26. The report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. Um, so uh, since I've already read it, we'll just go on. Uh, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, there, every now and again, we'll hear stuff through the grapevine in the office there. And it's kind of like, okay, now we have to go check on it, that kind of thing. Well, that's exactly what they did. They sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Uh, why? Because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord in verse 24. Now, I, I want you to catch that once again. What's the description of Barnabas? Same description of Paul, full of the Holy Spirit. That's important to us. We need to be walking with God so that we're full of the Holy Spirit. We're humble. We have a, a respect for who He is called the fear of the Lord. We recognize I can't do it. Yes, I'm smart. I know how to prepare a lesson. God, it is only through your grace that I'm going to be used. And so I'm asking that you, here I am, I'm going to go teach this lesson. You're going to have to do what you're going to do. And then if anything does come of it, as the old song said, let all the glory go to God. Okay? To God be the glory. Uh, so uh, he's a, a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And because he goes and sees a bunch of people came to know the Lord. Number two, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Now that's actually before a bunch of people came or the description of Barnabas, but I want you to catch that. Uh, He's encouraging them, look, walk with Jesus, walk with Jesus, walk with Jesus. 
That's what needs to continue to happen. Okay? And then, of course, uh, number three, uh, verse 25 and 26, it's time to go get Paul. So Barnabas departs for uh, Tarsus to seek Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And then the two ministered together in that local assembly for a year. They taught a great many people. And apparently they had such an effect that these people were walking in such a way that the unbelieving world around them said, you guys are Christians. You're followers of Christ. Wow, wouldn't that be neat? And see, every time I say, you're God's outreach program, it's as you sanctify the Lord God in your heart and you live in the power of the Spirit that people see you're a follower of Christ. Now they ask questions. And you need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. Okay? That brings us to our last last section. I'm just going to read through the notes because of time. From Jerusalem to Antioch to Judea. Uh, in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus, uh, he was a very skinny guy with the little uh, round bulges on him. Now that's something else. That's a Chinese uh, mathematician tool. Uh, Agabus stood up and uh, showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea, each according to his ability. This they also did, and sent it by the elders uh, to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now I'm studying Second Corinthians on Sunday mornings in our family Sunday school class, and we've just gone through the two lar- uh, two chapters, the largest passage on New Testament giving. Um, found in in the New Testament, of course. And uh, the first thing that God wants, he doesn't want your money. He wants you. And then he wants you to determine what you can give according to your ability. And then he wants you to be faithful in doing it. And then when you talk about how it's going to be handled after that, there ought to be two or three guys carrying it from here to there. Why? So no one can accuse anybody of stealing any of it. But it's only, you know, 50 feet so that no one can accuse anybody because it doesn't matter if they did or didn't. The accusation is the issue. And you just got to have a distrustful or a conflicted person, right? Um, and so there's, the money is sent with two guys by the authorities at hand. And uh, Paul ends up uh, doing that at the end of the book of Acts, bringing all this money and... Uh, gets talked into doing something that he probably didn't need to do, but they felt as though it was important, so he did. And before you know it, he's gotten uh, gotten himself arrested. (laughs) But we'll get there later. But whole point being is the body is helping the body. Here all these people out here learn the truth about something that happened there. And it all came from there, and so they're willing to give back to help those people because they've been helped spiritually. Now they need the financial help, so uh, they're willing to join in on that. So uh, that is the development or building the missions team. We now have Barnabas and uh, Paul together, and uh, within a few chapters, they're going to go out on their first missionary journey. And then there's going to be a second one. Uh, But the missions team is going to break up a little bit, and and it's going to divide and conquer. It's going to become bigger Uh, because Barnabas and Saul disagreed on something. Again, conflict isn't always bad. But uh, 
God is the one that's bringing all these things to pass so that the church can grow. Okay? We're not looking for, okay, who's the best looking guy here? Uh, I mean, um, we're, when we're looking for deacons, uh, we're looking for guys that are already involved. And some people come in, they want to be able to preach some Sunday night. It's kind of like, hand out bulletins. Nah, I don't want to do that. Can't preach. Why? Because if you can't serve in a low spot, why should you get the opportunity to serve in a high spot? Because God's concerned with your service, not with what you think you know. So, well, let's pray. Father, once again, uh, we see your plan. Your people, full of the Holy Spirit, living Christ before others so that they might have an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. I pray, Father, that you might continue to open our hearts and our minds to the areas that maybe we're not living like Christ so that we might put off, be renewed in the spirit of our mind, put on the new man, and uh, so that you might use us to reach the lost. Father, open uh, the hearts and minds of the people that we influence Give us opportunity to share the good news with them. And then, Lord, uh, weed them out. Bring uh, those that you're going to bring so that uh, we might continue to see uh, your hand in action. Thank you again for your love and care for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.